You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. going to hop into a Palm Sunday message. I'm going to get into some material that I've gotten into before, so give me a little bit of leeway here, um, but I, I'm going to present it in a different way. And I, I'm pretty excited. I've never really talked about Palm Sunday quite this much in this way, so I'm excited to uh, talk about it and, and, and hop in. But in the Old Testament, God showed up in many different ways. We've talked about this before. Um, as crazy as it sounds, there are plenty of scholars who would agree with me when I say that the angel of the Lord, not just any angel, but specifically the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, is uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, it's because whenever this angel shows up, he talks and acts as though he is God, and the lines get blurred a lot. Like, it sounds very much like a part of the Trinity. We know that Jesus has already always existed. And so here we have in the Old Testament this physical presence of God that sometimes manifests on the earth uh, as, uh, as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Sometimes he's called other things. Sometimes he's called the word of the Lord, uh, things like that. And John in the New Testament, what does he say about the word of the Lord? Well, the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. So when we're thinking like Abraham had a vision of the word of the Lord in the Old Testament, it makes sense that John's operating off of visions like that to say that like Jesus was that word, the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, John will also go on later to have Jesus tell uh, the Jews of his time, uh, I talked to Abraham. They're like, you're crazy. You're not even 30, 50 years old. And you've talked to Abraham? Jesus is like, yeah. How is that possible? Well, the word of the Lord talked to Abraham. Jesus is the word of the Lord. Okay. So now we've got all that in mind. That's familiar territory. We've covered it before. Um, now we're going to uh, look at it in a different light than we have before. Um, in the Old Testament, God's presence sometimes shows up in kind of two, two variation forms. One is uh, smoke and one is fire. And uh, it hops back and forth. Uh, so, for example... Abraham has a vision one night, and God shows up as a uh, kind of like a flaming torch and a smoking pot. And the two of these, um, smoke and fire, is meant to represent him. Now, when they get into the wilderness, you might remember this. Uh, in order for Israel to know where they're going in the uh, wilderness after they have been freed from uh, Egyptian tyranny, they follow a a like pillar of smoke when it's daytime it's a pillar of smoke when it's nighttime it turns into a pillar of fire but in order for israel to know where to go in the wilderness they look at this pillar of smoke or pillar of fire now what's interesting about this pillar of smoke and pillar of fire is that the bible tells us that the angel of the lord is inside of it and this isn't just any angel this is this is, again, this Jesus-like angel. In fact, if you go to Jude 5, check this out. This is weird. Jude 5 says, remember when Jesus freed us from Egypt? <laughs> like, led us through the wilderness? And you're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, the answer is that Jude saw Jesus 
as the angel of the Lord, who's in this pillar of smoke, this pillar of flame, leading them through the desert. So sometimes God also manifests in this way as, as like smoke. And what's interesting is Abraham, before they had a tabernacle, Abraham would sometimes set up a, uh, a tent. And this was called the tent of meeting. Who was he meeting? He was meeting with God face-to-face -face is what the Bible says. He would meet with God face-to-face. -face. So Moses would set up this tent, this tent of meeting, and then he would go inside. And all of Israel would always gather around because weird things would happen when Moses went inside the tent of meeting. What would happen is a pillar of smoke would begin to descend out of the sky and come right down to the entrance of this tent of meeting. And then Moses would talk with God face-to-face. -face. Why is talking with a pillar of, of smoke talking with God face-to-face? Well, because the angel of the Lord, who is God, who is Jesus, is there inside the pillar. So it's almost like this, like, I don't know, it reminds me of like a ladder. Like, pillar of smoke ladder comes out of the sky, descends to the earth, and then an angel walks down. It's like, hey, what's up? But this angel, of course, is God. Now, uh, eventually, uh, God is going to tell Abraham, all right, you're going to make a, 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 a new kind of tent of meeting. It's, it's tabernacle. We're going to build a temple. Not like a glorious temple in the sense that like it's permanent and huge, but a tent-like tabernacle. This is like the first mobile church. <laughs> uh, they're going to set up here in the wilderness, in the desert, and then um, they're going to, um, using this tent, they're going to meet with God there. So after they've built it, according to the standards of which God has set for them to build, here's what happens. Very interesting. A, after they've finished building the tabernacle, a cloud begins to fill it. Now, we've already talked about this. Who, who is in this smoky presence, in this cloud, this pillar of cloud, this pillar of smoke? Well, it's the angel of the Lord. It's God. And who was this temple built for? Well, it's God. God lives inside the temple. And inside of that temple, what is in there? It, it's a throne. It's the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, there's a seat. As though uh, God sits on it. And the angels, the cherubim, are on the side protecting him. As the angels do in heaven. On the sides of him, protecting him. And so here we have the angel of the Lord, God himself, make his home, tabernacle among us, inside of this new tent of meeting, this tabernacle. Now as time goes on, eventually uh, David's going to ask God, I'd like to build you something much better than, than just like, a tent. I mean, I've got a palace and God, you live in a tent. This doesn't seem right to me. I'd like to build you like a real something really good. And God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to do that, even though I didn't ask for it, but your son's going to do it, not you, because you're a man of war. Um, and so uh, David David has a son named Solomon, and Solomon is told you can build this this temple for me, this new tabernacle, a permanent one. And after they built it, just like before, they're having a worship service. And everybody's singing and praising. And there's tons of people, tons of... The worship band is ginormous. And there's so many sacrifices being made. It's like the, the scissor cutting of, of the new building that's been opened, right? And they all come together and they're ready to uh, worship. And then something interesting happens. Something that we remember. Something that they would have the memory of as well. A cloud fills the temple where the Ark of the Covenant is, 
And it's the same idea. The angel of the Lord, God himself, God's presence, this pillar of smoke, this pillar of cloud invades the temple. And now we know that God's presence is there. It's an amazing moment. Just like God filled the old tabernacle and took up residence there. Now in the new temple, the new tabernacle, the new tent of meeting, God fills it and takes up residence there. God is present. Now, Israel's going to mess up a whole lot. Like, God's like, I cannot believe this. You guys are supposed to represent me on the earth, and yet the people that I had you go to war with, like, you have acted worse than them. And you guys need to be turned over to your sins, need to be turned over for your sins. But there will be a remnant of you. I will raise up a remnant from you when this is all over, a remnant that will be faithful to me and will be the true Israel, will be the true ones who, who are my children who follow me. And so Ezekiel has a vision. At one time in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel had a vision of God filling the temple. But in Ezekiel 10, he has the opposite vision. Is a vision of the angels rising up to create this kind of chariot and escort God out of the temple. And you can imagine, oh, what a horrible feeling that would be. That's not the prophecy anybody wants to hear. But in Ezekiel 10, we are given a, a prophetic vision of God's presence leaving that temple. That cloud that once filled it is no longer there. And since God is your sustainer and protector and no one can like break down Jerusalem because God is present there, well, God's not there anymore. And so when they're attacked by Babylon and taken into slavery and exile and captivity, Babylon wins and they are captured. But God said, don't worry, I'm coming back for a remnant of you that will be faithful to me. Now, while they are in exile, while they are in slavery and captivity with Babylon, Babylon is not like, uh, Babylon themselves is actually overthrown, eventually by Rome. Rome overtakes Babylon, and so now uh, the Israelites who are remaining are not only like at the bottom of the social ladder because they were once taken captive by Babylon, but they're at the bottom of the social ladder because they were now taken captive by Babylon who was taken captive by Rome. Like, they are at the bottom, Right? And they're kind of freaking out at this point because they're like, what What are we going <laughs> to, you know, when's God going to show up? He said he'd come back for a faithful few of us. It's at that point that the angel of the Lord, as John says, the word of the Lord, puts on flesh and tabernacles among us. And during this time, they build a second temple, a new temple. Now, we don't have any stories of God telling them to build uh, like, well, we don't have any stories of God filling this temple. We once had the smoky pillar cloud of God fill the tabernacle, meet with Moses, fill the temple. But this second temple, we have no story like that. And so while we have a temple to go to a place and worship God, we don't have a temple where we believe that God is like manifestly uh, present because we heard a story of, of that cloudy presence filling it. And the story of Palm Sunday is one in which that cloud shows up. The story of Palm Sunday is one in which the king, who reigns on the throne in the tabernacle, walks in to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. 
the place that has always been God's place, the place where God has once dwelt in the temple, the, the special place where, where God is. But when the cloud shows up this time, it shows up in the form of Jesus. On Palm Sunday. And some people notice it. Some. It's interesting in Luke, you know, a lot of times we have a picture painted of like, God walks into, or Jesus walks into Jerusalem, and like, uh, everybody's freaking out. Which is quite possibly what happened. But Luke says that when Jesus walked in, a multitude of disciples were freaking out. Like, they're celebrating. And it makes you wonder, like, was everybody as into Jesus as we, we sometimes make it out to be on Palm Sunday? Uh, a multitude wouldn't be 12 disciples, so clearly there are other disciples who are present, celebrating that Jesus is here, singing Hosanna and worshiping him as, as he walks into the city. But there were probably lots of people who were like, what's going on here? And that includes the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the other religious leaders of the time. See, the cloud of presence has just entered God's holy city, has just entered uh, the place to take king, to take up residence on the Ark of the Covenant, if you will. But it's very different this time. When the cloud walks in, there are plenty of people who don't recognize it. They don't know their history. They don't know that the cloud's in front of them. And when Jesus walks into the temple, the place where you think he'd be like, I'm home, it's time to celebrate, he actually does the opposite. He is ticked off. He starts throwing things. <laughs> he creates whips, not to like hurt people, but in like a, a, a display of prophetic anger. The prophets have always been about unique ways to show people how God's feeling. And in this case, Jesus makes a whip and you can hear him kind of cracking on the ground. He's like, what is this place? Have you not listened to the prophets at all? I've told you through the prophets, you need to stop oppressing the poor. You need to stop hurting people. You need to stop doing horrible things in my name. And yet you Pharisees and, and you people selling all this stuff out in the open, you're not just trying to like make life in the temple go round, you've turned this into a business. You're robbing people. Pharisees, you devour widows' houses. And, and the rest of you, you're a den of thieves, a den of robbers. You're like the mafia of the religious sect and trying to show people what God looks like, but you're doing it horribly wrong. This isn't what God looks like. You guys are, are taking God's name in vain by even trying to say that this is God. And you see, Jesus is not happy in the second temple. And he begins to tell them, you know what? The real temple, the place where God dwells, uh, the place where his presence is, where he is king, where, where that cloudy presence has shown up, that's me, is what Jesus says. I mean, you, you, you'll see this temple will be broken, and in three days it will rise up. And they're all like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Jesus looks at the second temple, this glorious temple, that is more glorious than even Solomon's temple. I mean, the rocks used to build this thing are ginormous. Like, you know how when you go to Stonehenge and you see Stonehenge, the rocks are just so huge, you're like, wow, how do they do this? How is this even remotely possible? Well, that's what's going on with this temple. Uh, one of the disciples looks at the temple, he sees one of the giant rocks, and he's like, wow, look how big those rocks are that they built this thing with. That's just huge it's just ridiculous how how do they go about doing this 
They're all so in awe with the temple that they built that they miss the actual temple, the actual cloudy presence, the actual angel of the Lord, the actual Jesus, the actual God in flesh right in front of them who is upset. I've sent prophets to correct you on this. The king is home and this is how the king finds his home. What is going on? You know, when I look back at the last year of COVID, sometimes I think Palm Sunday is a, a grand message for us to hear. So much happened during COVID and a lot of times we were fighting about getting back into buildings. Get us back into our own temples. Oh, we gotta, we gotta get back into our sacred spaces. We gotta get back to where we believe that that Jesus is present. And like I get that, there's there are sacred spaces in our lives, and meeting in person is great. But I wonder in the past year how many times Jesus was like, "I'm, I'm over there, you guys." The cloudy presence isn't in 1208's building. The cloudy presence isn't in your sacred spaces. The cloudy presence is over there saying, guys, hear the oppressed noise of those who are black, of those who are Asian. Hear the oppressed noise of, of those in pain who have been slain. What if the cloudy presence isn't where we think it is? What if we're worshiping the wrong things? What if we're trying to get to the wrong places? Because that was exactly what the case was on Palm Sunday. Jesus walks into Jerusalem. Some recognize him. And others are looking for him inside a temple where he is not manifestly present. There's a lot going on in the world. And I think when we look for Jesus in places where we feel like we have to say that he has to be, we miss him in the places where he's always been. Where was Jesus throughout the scriptures? He was with the poor and the powerless, the broken, the castaways. You know what's interesting? He was with the oppressors too. He was with the tax collectors, the Pharisees. The tax collectors were robbing people, but as he got to know them, they would repent and, and make rights for their wrongs. He spent time with the Pharisees, who would kill him. Jesus was so profound in how he cared for humanity that he spent time both with sinners, outcasts, and the rich and powerful who oppressed him and them. Trying to equally show God's love to everyone. And the question becomes for us, do we have our eyes on the same places where Jesus had them? Do we look for that cloudy presence in the places where it is? I mean, right behind me right now, right? Look how cloudy that is. And what's behind us in that? A building that's been torn apart by someone who has likely tried to commit suicide by running into it. The brokenness is right there. That's kind of what life is like. And so often in our churches, we want the nice, pleasant backdrops with the nice lights and uh, with the, the perfect setting and cool backdrop. No, this is Jackson. And you know what? 
That's where God is. Yeah, he meets us in this building sometimes. God's out there, and he's with you too. Because Paul tells us that now, due to what Jesus has done, all of our temples, all of our bodies have been turned into temples of the Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit who dwells in Jesus and dwells in the temples of uh, the tabernacle and all that, the same Holy Spirit dwells in us. So where you go, the temple goes. Where you go, God's name is seen. And I think after 2,000 years of looking at Jesus' example, it's time for us to turn our eyes where they belong. Not on buildings, but on people. Loving both our enemies and those that many have turned a blind, blind eye to. So I'm going to pray for you. Then I uh, uh, invite you to live out Palm Sunday. Not just, not just make it a holiday, but make it your life. So God, we... Uh, we turn our eyes on you, and as we turn our eyes on you, we see where your gaze is. We see the people that you're looking at. We see the people that you love. We see your cloudy presence enveloping them and calling us to them to show them the same love. Just as Peter said that you hadn't returned yet because you longed for more to be saved, so we will join you in that mission, that great commission, to go into the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit. And where we go, your Spirit goes. Because we follow your Spirit to get where we go. So use us. Not just in this building, not just on a Sunday, not just on a holiday, not on Palm Sunday, not on Easter, but in every day of our lives as we give ourselves over to you. It is not just pastors who have a mission, not just pastors who have a calling. Every single Christian is the called ones. And wherever we go, we walk in the calling that you've put on our lives to show the world Jesus and to cultivate it into the ways of heaven. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we, you give it to us. And now we, in return, give it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.